0: Interesting, we, uh, we serve a God who sings. Um, there are some people actually that believe, just because of the way uh, the beginning chapters of Genesis are, are written about the creation story and some of the poetic part to it, that perhaps God, God sang out the words of creation that we, we see in, in the scriptures, and that would seem to make some sense. Uh, just a little bit of review of where we've been going in this uh, Why We Gather um, series. We look at the fact that the story of the gospel is the story of worship. And We began to look at the fact that the gospel story, the basic gospel story, um, should shape our worship and shapes our gathering together, um, and that can look in all sorts of different ways. But that's supposed to give us some structure so that we, over and over again, review it, um, both in our worship and what we hear, um, and then that begins to shape um, who we are. We don't. A couple of quotes here from the past couple of weeks. We don't come to church to worship. But as scattered worshipers, we come together to continue our worship in the company of one another. Our gathering is a unique encounter with the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and spurring one another on to the mission of God, which which is part of the gospel as well, as we we sent out to do the things he's called us to do. Um, This unique gathering is to be shaped around the gospel that God is holy, that we're needy, that God redeems, and then he sends us out to participate in his kingdom work. And our two key words last week were expression and formation. Expression and formation. That we, we express the gospel through the framework of the gospel up to God in worship. Um, and we, um, God speaks down to us through the same framework in a formative way in our life. The key phrase was this. Our corporate gathering is a re-presentation of the gospel in the presence of God and his people for his glory and our transformation. Our corporate gathering is a representation of the gospel in the presence of God and his people for his glory and for our transformation. Through a gospel-informed structure, we express our worship to God and are shaped and transformed by that representation of the gospel into his image. And so the question comes up, so what do we do when we get together that accomplishes all that? Besides mentioning these key components of the gospel, what are the things that um, we do as we gather um, that, that accomplish that? in And there's all sorts of things, and we'll, we'll unpack a few of those. But tonight, we're only looking at one of them because we do it so much, and it's singing. Um, one of the things we do as we gather is we sing, and it's part of this, this structure. This, it's a, um, something that, that's, that's part of this gospel-forming work um, in our life. So how many of you have, besides the fact that you're two years old and you hit the little play school thing, aside from that, how many have at some point in time played an instrument, something? Man, look at that. Isn't that cool? So how many have sung like in a choir or a band or something? Man, all right. How about in the shower? The car. There we go. Okay, here. Here we gather. Good. My, uh, my own personal music history is kind of rocky. Um, not rock and roll as in not good, like Rocky. Um, I, uh, I didn't bring it. I have these, uh, I found these little cards I have. They're from 1968 and 69, 1969, 1970. I played clarinet, so in, in, in public schools when I was a kid, everybody chose an instrument. I, I have no idea why I ended up the clarinet. I'm trying to think back. What was the thought process there? But that's what I ended up with. And um, fifth and sixth grade and on through um, junior. This was my... Um, little practice cards, you had to, you had to fill out the, the little grade, you know, you got a grade for band as well as everything else. Um, what stands out is on one of them, underneath practice habits, has an E, um, the E was not for excellent, the E was like in failing E, and the only reason I got better grades later, quite honestly, is because I began to lie about what I was doing as far as practicing, I had little cards, you write down your times, and I would just kind of make up numbers, um, I was one of the kids who play, and then I would just drop out of the song, all Lisa's, like, dying here because she hates those kids who just drop out of this song. What was really bad is we had three clarinets at one time and none of us practiced. And now and then we'd all drop out at the same time because we didn't know where we were and there's like, there no clarinets at all. So, but I was, I was bad because I did not practice. Um, um, I didn't. Ninth grade came along and uh, my band instructor suggested I switch to the bass clarinet because they didn't have any bass clarinets and it was supposed to be easier and you play the tuba line. Um... So I switched to bass cornet, and I liked it because I remember the girl next to me played bassoon, and she was I kind of liked her, and I don't think she ever paid any attention to me because I she was good and I was lousy on my instrument. So, but I did that I actually played my bass cornet all the way through high school, band and orchestra, and um, was was awful. I mean, I just I did I, I didn't I didn't play well at all. Um, I have another picture up here down the road. Here, there's one more coming up here. Um, that's one, yes. That's uh so in a seminary I picked up I was doing youth work, so at least then all youth workers played a guitar, I didn't play guitar. So I bought a guitar and began to learn um, with a little book and I got my G, A, C, and D and A minor, and E minor. I could never do B's or anything like that. It was like forget it. And I could play, you know, there's like there's like, you know, Blind Man Sits by the Road and he cries. There's a few songs like that. You could play for youth group that are used to basically the basic same three chords and um, so I started doing that, and um, when I went to a church up in um, San Francisco area, actually on the left-hand side there first, um, I had to do a kids' program every other Friday. It was like, like a, a yearly, it went on all year round as a VBS program at every other Friday. Our church is about 90 people. We had like 120 kids came to this kids' program, so it was a kind of a cool thing. Um, as an associate pastor, I was given responsibility for the kids' program, and in the beginning of the program, it was called BGs. That was the name of the program. Um, I didn't come up with that. But it had been as Bee Gees, and I was Mr. Bee um uh, was who I was. And all the kids would go, hi, Mr. Bee Gees. And I had my little antennas. You can't see them on there, but they had these little antennas on top of my, my hat. And I had to sing the Bee Gees song, which I, fortunately, I'm starting, I'm actually forgetting it finally. But I know all I remember is the beginning to start out, I am, I am a Bee Gees, I buzz for God. That's how the song started. And I had to sing that song at the start of it, and then Buzz, who was a puppet, would come out and he would talk to me about whatever the lesson was going to be that day, and we had this little conversation. So I had to play guitar for that. It was, um, it was um, mortifying, quite, quite honestly. Um, it was, it was pretty bad. The other job I had at that church because I was the associate pastor was I had to lead the music on Sunday mornings, and which was I did this one of these kind of deals. So we did the hymns, and I knew that because I was in a band, so I could whatever one, two, three, one, two. Those things. Um, so the, but what was bad was that we had this, these two really neat gals. The lady played the piano, and the other played, it was on their side, the lady played organ over here and piano. And they were really sweet, and they loved to play. They did not know how to play together at all. Um, and it was just like dueling keys the whole time. And I'm up here doing this and trying to sing out, and I don't have much of a voice. And I actually had to have the high school kids, there were only a few of them, but they had to stay out in the foyer because they would laugh. So hard during the service that we can never get through a song, so I lasted two years in that church, and I was I was pretty much done because of the music issues um, at that at church. That picture is uh, from up in um, the um, up in Seattle area um, with my rock and roll hair haircut going on there. Um, I think there was a transition that happened for me with music when I got there. I still had a, I was youth group, so we sang we sang a lot with youth group, and. Uh, just because nobody else did fortunately some other kids started picking up the guitar and got better than me really quick very 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 quickly and some of them have gone on and are are doing a lot of music now which is really cool but um i I got to a place where i just realized singing is a is a really good thing um there's something that happens in singing that doesn't happen in other places and uh and so i just kind of lost my um embarrassment i guess um of how I sounded, and the kids didn't care, and we sang, and we—I actually kind of entered into a place where I didn't play any better, I didn't sing any better. I sang a lot louder, and we sang a lot more. And there was something that was just um, transformative about doing that, and um, entering into those places of, of singing. Um, scripture is full of injunctions to sing as a matter of fact the psalms alone have like over 100 spots in there but the scriptures all across it talk about singing and there are songs all over the scriptures they're all over the old testament There are long ones there are short ones there's ones in the new testament there's some little um, places in the epistles that are probably were hymns from the church that were inserted in there but it's full of, of singing as we sang uh, tonight the father sings um, Jesus went out singing a hymn, and there's indications that Jesus sang. Um, and as I said, there's several hymns in the New Testament. So I want to look at two specific passages tonight and show how, how singing becomes an avenue by which we do expression, and singing is an avenue by which there's formation, those two key words that we looked at um, last week. The first one is from Psalm 96, verse 1. I just picked this verse. There's a bunch of verses that all say the same thing. It's very simple. It says, Psalm 96.1, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. And this is singing as expression, which is that goes up to God. Three things come out of this, and all you've got to do is take, take the, the verse, um, sing to the Lord a new song, just break it up. What's the very first word? The sing. It just tells us to sing. The scriptures over and over again, um, not in a forceful way, but they command us, they call us to sing. It doesn't say, when you feel like singing, sing. It just says, sing. Sing. Um, and I would say singing is not optional. Um, sometimes, you know, just a place for quiet. But um, God created us and designed us um, to sing. And so, over and over and over again in scriptures, He says to sing. I want you to sing. Um, and so, the first thing here, sing. Though it's not optional. Remember, in the very beginning of the series, I read uh, we re- referred to that Donald Miller blog, and he had said something about he doesn't connect with God through, through singing. Um, in the congregation, and we talked a little bit about what, that, what that's about. Um, there's a part of me that says, that just doesn't fly. It just doesn't fly. Because I understand what it means. It feels like sometimes I don't feel like singing. I get that part of it. And there's times when certain songs just don't connect. Um, but to say, and I'm not sure he meant this, but to say that I just don't sing because it's just not for me. Um, the scriptures tell us to sing. Um, it's, it's not an option. And it um, calls us to do it. And so it's not about, because um, it's not supposed to be about me, it's about me expressing something to him. And he says, I like to hear it when you sing. I want to hear it through the song. Second thing it says here is sing to the Lord. The, the direction of our singing as expression is, is, is goes to the Lord himself first and foremost. Um, we have, uh, Cameron's referred to a couple times that we have more than one audience when we gather together. There's actually three audiences. The first one is the Lord. It says it right here. We sing to the Lord. That's our first audience. But there are two other audiences which we'll refer to later here, but the other audience is each other, and we'll get that in a moment. We sing to each other, and then there's actually a third audience which we will refer to at the end of the service from Psalm 40. We, we sing, and the, the world is an audience as well. Um, as a matter of fact, I think our gathered worship services, even if an unbeliever doesn't understand what's going on, is the best manner in which um, the gospel can be shared because in the, when God's presence shows up, people are touched by it. You can't, you can't miss it. But uh, in this particular part, our singing as an expression is to the Lord. And so we come together and we use our voice um, for one purpose to, to take words and apply them to some music and give them to God. And it's something about that God's heart receives that in a different way. So it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. And the third part of that is that's new. We sing a new song. Uh, if you sing a song once, it's new, right? The first time we're going to do a new song um, tonight, um, it'll. For some of us, it'll be the first time. Once you've sung it once, it's not new anymore. So I'm—I think what it actually means here is we're to sing songs newly, they—they they, they, uh, freshly, which means I can sing the same song a hundred times, and if it comes from a place of faith in my heart, I can sing it anew again. Um, and it's which takes some work sometimes. We have to—we have to have a, a be in the right spot so when we bring forth a song. It comes out. So that's, which is why we all have, I've got, I changed my playlist and my, my um, iTunes sings all the time. So like I'll have this, I have September right now, which is my key songs for September. And there's like six of them. My kids get in the car and they're like, oh, God, the same six songs. He listens to them every day, all day long in the car for, you know, until I'm tired of them. But that takes a while. But I can sing, if a song touches me, I can sing that one over and over and over again. And each time there's something fresh about it. And so when the Lord speaks to us and says sing, he wants us to sing it newly. He wants it to come, not just, I just do it because I'm supposed to do it, but to actually come down from the place where he's at work in my life and to bring it forth to him as a fresh offering every time. Um, which sometimes is hard when we, we'll repeat something over and over again. How do we do it newly? We do it newly by just looking at the words. What is it saying? What is it speaking to my heart? What is it supposed to speak um, back to God? So here in this verse, Psalm 96.1, three things. Sing to the Lord a new song. It's not optional. Our singing goes to him, um, and it's to be new or fresh or come, come from a fresh heart um, in the midst of that singing, which means um, we have a responsibility when our singing comes to bring a fresh heart before him, um, coming prepared and ready to do that. By the way, just a little side note, um, and we, we could debate this afterwards, go out to have eat something, and you can debate this um, I think that um, singing and music um, are an act of worship. They're not a tool. Um, we Churches use singing and music as a tool, right? We, we, we crank on our emotions. We do something to, to impact people, and it does impact. Um, but I don't think God created it to be a tool in our midst. He created it as an act of worship. We bring forth music. From our hearts when we bring forth song we sing it god uses that but the tendency for some places is to take it and it becomes just a tool to accomplish something and i'm not sure that god intended for it to be that so you can argue about that um but not with me so um so singing as expression singing is not optional it's to the lord and we're to do it newly and freshly over and over and over again Second of all, singing as formation. I want to spend more time on that. Singing as a means by formation. Let me read. You can turn if you want. Colossians chapter three is our verse for tonight. Colossians chapter three verses fifteen and sixteen. And let me uh, let me read those verses. He says, "Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom." singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. By the way, indicate, again, it's not optional. He tells us to sing. It says, do this. Um, Here we're told to sing to one another, um, which is what's interesting about this passage. We're to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Just a little foundation before that. The, the verses preceding these verses, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, actually talk about the gospel is what they talk about. They talk about God coming in and changing our life, being, being seated with him in the heavenly places. It talks about unity and forgiveness and oneness. It talks about um, loving one another and having gratitude in our hearts. And it lays a whole foundation for what a church should be like, a group of people who love each other, are unified, who are forgiving towards each other, and all have a common focus on the God. Who changed their life. That's those first verses. The first 14 verses of Colossians chapter 3 lay that out. If we have that as a foundation, singing and music becomes a joy. Um, God uses it. If if you've ever been in a church that didn't have that foundation, music becomes a point of contention, is what happens. And um, I'm grateful we have not experienced that here, but I've been in places before. My parents' church was just always in turmoil over the whole issue of what kind of music. We're going to do in the service, and if you don't have these things of unity and forgiveness and love and coming to the foot of the cross as a common group of people, which is what Colossians 3 1 through 14 is about, then music becomes divisive. When we come knowing we're forgiven, knowing that we've got life from Him, that we're gathered to be one body, that we're all seated together in His presence, um, and there's unity, then that's the foundation by which He says, Now, when you've got that foundation. I want you to sing to each other. Sing to each other, because I'm going to do something um, with it in your midst. The work of Christ, which leads to a gospel-formed unity based on love and firmly seated at the foot of the cross, um, we can come together at that place and sing. From this book I read last, I, I mentioned last week by Mike Cosper, he says this, In other words, the gospel should be what connects people, not music. Our differences are never so slight as they are at the foot of the cross. It's the ground upon which the church gathers, a place where social, political, ethnic, and cultural boundaries are obliterated. Instead, Christ is all and is in all. In that place, we find peace, and that peace should be accompanied by a spirit of thanksgiving and unity. And then in response to that, the church sings. The church begins to sing. So that's what Colossians 3, verse 15-16 then follows up with that, talking about singing. So a couple things here from these verses. Number one, God desires to transform us. Um, It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The first thing is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ comes not from just getting control. It comes from the filling of the Spirit inside of us. Um, The fruit of the Spirit, that comes from the Holy Spirit, not from us. And so peace comes from the filling of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, go to Ephesians chapter 5, which has a very similar section to this. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he follows up with the same verses we have here from Colossians 3 about singing to one another and making music. And it comes out of this place of of, uh, being filled with the Spirit that produces the peace of Christ in our life. Um, It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule um, actually means to be an umpire. Um, It's to let... The Spirit's peace have the primary say of what goes on in your heart, is what it means. So let the peace of Christ rule or umpire or determine the outcome of your hearts um, by the Spirit's direction. And then he says, let the word of Christ, which is um, someplace actually translated the gospel, um, it's the truth uh, of truth of Christ with Christ as a subject. It's just, that's what it is. Let the word of Christ, or all that truth that finds Jesus as its center, which is the gospel. Let the word of Christ do what? Richly dwell in us. To richly dwell is, it becomes pervasive. Um, it doesn't just sit on the surface, but it's, it works its way into every aspect of our life. The word dwell just means to take up residence there. He wants the word of Christ, the gospel, which we're transformed by the gospel. And he wants says, I wanted to see that gospel message, the truth of it, the truth of Christ Work its way so it takes a full residence within your hearts, which is basically to be in all of our life, to, to be so pervasive in the life that it becomes the ruling um, voice in all that we think, all that we do, how we understand ourselves, how we understand God's work in the world, and it, it begins up to take, make its home within us, um, to make a home there. The reign of the Spirit and the penetration of the gospel transforms our life. When I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel permeates into my heart and in my life, I become transformed. And so Paul here says, um, as he lays out this foundation, he says, I want the peace of Christ to rule and I want the word of Christ to richly dwell. Why? Because it changes us. It transforms us. It makes us more like him. Second of all, singing is a corporate conduit for transformation. So the gospel transforms us. God wants to do that. As, as it works its way through his word into our heart, through the Holy Spirit. And God uses singing as a conduit to accomplish that. It's not the only thing. He uses other means as well, but one of the means he uses to bring the gospel and penetrate our lives with it, to get the word of Christ richly dwelling in us, he uses singing, and he uses it in a corporate setting. Um, interesting, it says, uh, back in those verses, it says that he's gonna, we're going to teach and admonish with wisdom, and we're going to bring it with all of our heart. It touches both our minds, as what we think, as well as how we feel and how we interact, um, which goes along with Romans. It talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, he changes how we think, um, and he changes how we feel as well. So singing is a corporate conduit for the transformation of the gospel in our lives. It says here that we are to teach and admonish one another with singing so let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts let the word of Christ richly dwell in you as you do what as you sing um, to one another as you sing to one another God uses songs or music or the singing of one another to transform us by integrating the gospel into our hearts and minds and this comes by way of guess what of all places each other it comes by way of each other it's singing to one another it says as you sing to one another and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I always came to church figuring I'm singing only to God, and he gets enough as it is anyway. So if I don't feel like singing, I'm just not going to sing. I mean, it has nothing to do with anybody else. As a matter of fact, the, the best thing would be if everybody, nobody else heard me. Um, I, when you visit our churches, I don't know if you've ever visited our churches, and you'll, you'll, you'll listen to their singing, um, and some churches don't sing. Um, they just don't sing. Um, other places, their acoustics are like so good, it just soaks up everybody's sound, so you can't hear anybody singing, even though everybody else is, and so you feel like you're all by yourself singing. I feel like that on Easter when we're outside. It's like our voices just go away, and so I feel like only my voice is being heard, which is probably not the case, but that's how it feels, and it makes me kind of want to, I'm not going to sing, but he wants us to sing anyways. And he says he's going to penetrate the gospel by our singing that we do towards each other. Um, when we sing, we sing it to, to one another. When we come together, it cannot be about personal preference. It's not about what I like, but rather about God and is designed to use text in combination with music spoken and sung by us um, through each of us um, for one another. And it comes out of a place of love for each other and a desire to be unified in a sense of being one church, which is what the beginning of this, this Colossians 3 talks about. Out of that foundation, I care that you get transformed. And God wants to use each of us to do that. And one of the ways he uses it is as we sing to each other. So when you sing, um, I'm, I'm actually impacted for transformation. God actually uses your singing to bring transformation into my life as the gospel gets sung into my life. Um, our failure to sing to each other takes out one of those pieces that God wants to use to bring transformation in us. And we all lose out. We all um, don't benefit from that as as we don't do that. It's not the only reason we sing, but it's one of the primary reasons we sing. It's for one another. We have one gospel, one church, one faith, and we're to have one voice and one song that's expressed both to God as well as to each other. Our singing is a testimony, a declaration to those around us of who we are and whose we are. So, I don't know if you, I'm sure we've all experienced this. We're sitting down here, or we're standing, and we're, there's something going on, and we're not singing, and we're trying to sing, and our heart's hurting, and we hear somebody else singing, and something about it just touches us. You're watching somebody else who's singing, or you're hearing somebody and it touches you in a way that it wouldn't have otherwise, and you are transformed. Um, so we both sing out of the responsibility to transform each other. The Holy Spirit used that. But we also receive the singing of each other, um, no matter how we sing. Um, Harold Best, uh, he's from Wheaton College, he says this, A congregation is just as responsible to sing the gospel as the preachers are to preach it. The congregation, according to these verses, is just as responsible to sing the gospel as the preachers are To preach it, Um, and if these verses are true, that's true, and um, so we have to sing um, and sing towards one another. Third thing here is that singing should be diverse. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but he says you're supposed to sing in psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. So you can read about 20 books about what those three words mean, and you will get three three different answers or 30 different answers, however many there are. There's all sorts of ideas about what that means, and I'm not even going to try to go there. Um, generally, everybody agrees that the Psalms refer to the book of Psalms because they're they sung scriptures. Um, the church, all through the Reformation, for a long time just sung the Psalter, just sung those over and over again. There's great stuff there. Um, hymns, um, I mean, it says that at the end of the Passover, they sang a hymn and they, and they went home. Um, there are some churches that actually believe that the hymns actually refers to those things that are written, like the 1700s, but this was written a little bit before then, um, so probably doesn't. Um, Hymns, churches form hymns, um, and they're usually about God, and they're usually declarations of the truth about him. And then you have spiritual songs, and you no, know, everybody's got different ideas about that. Some people just believe it means the songs that are, are, are led by the Spirit or filled by the Spirit. Um, I've been in church where people just start singing randomly. Um, I think that fits in there. Um, I've I've had something going on in my mind that I think I want to talk, talk to the Lord about and a certain tune comes to mind, not a very good one, but a tune comes to mind that helps me sing it and I'll sing it over and over again. I think that's a spiritual song. It's just something that the Holy Spirit's doing within me. Um, it can just be the new things that come through our, an individual church, whatever it might be. Um, I think the point here is that we sing, we sing with diversity. There's all different ways in terms of our singing that come before him. There's not this... Um, structured set up in the scriptures say this is how you sing and these are the songs you sing and this is the volume you do it at and all those kinds of things. It's just not there. Um, he says we come together because God wants to transform us by the richly dwelling of the, the word into our hearts, the gospel, this, the, the story about Christ. And he does it one way as we sing to each other. And we sing all sorts of different kinds of songs. Um, they're all different kinds. And as we sing those songs together with Christ at the middle of them, We've become transformed. So a couple things here. It ends, the, the passage there. Colossians 3, 15, 16, says that we're to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. The word thankfulness is actually um, other places. it's The only place in the New Testament gets translated thankfulness, it's usually translated grace um, is actually the word there. Um, I'm not sure why they put thankfulness in here. In other places it's rendered the grace or in the grace. If you have a King James version, you probably it says, sing with grace in your hearts um, to God. Gordon Fee says this the focus is not actually not so much on our attitude towards God as we sing, but on our awareness of his attitude towards us. We sing fully aware of his gracious action in our life. So I get to I get to sing understanding that God has has redeemed me. And He's poured grace upon me, and that—that—that understanding, the grace flooding down on me all the time. That's there, brings out a song. And I sing with this awareness that I get to sit right before the throne, and it's wide open for me. And um, we get to sing out of that place. Um, if we sing with that kind of attitude, aware of God's graciousness in our lives, it changes the whole context and atmosphere of our singing with each other. Um, because if I don't, if, if if Janice picks a song I don't like, the song, um, if I have if I am aware of the graciousness of God in my life, I'm going to sing that song. I'm going to come because we are one church and one body, and we sing to each other. And so, it, it, the song touches Janice. I'm going to enter that song with Janice because that's touching her life. If I don't like the style of the music, um, if like if we sing all country music, if it was every Sunday, I would probably would find a different church. But no, that's, that kind of stuff is not supposed to get in the way. That's not ever should be the issue when we understand the graciousness of God upon us. And so we can enter into all these different places. The churches that have these worship wars over the style of music don't understand and have an awareness of the graciousness of God in their lives. Or it would change everything because our attitude when we come to each other is receiving. Because at the foot of the cross, we're all at the same place. And that touches and and, and, uh, undergirds our singing. Sometimes the music is what I like and I sing it. Sometimes it isn't. Um, But as I enjoy his grace, we put our tastes aside and we join with others who are entering into that song. We make one voice and we do it gladly because we are standing in light of God's grace in our life. Um, And in in that kind of place... um, a, a critical, kind of unparticipatory attitude in our singing, um, there's no place for that in God's word. There just isn't. Um, and that's not to say that there are times when we sit back and just t- receive the singing of other people. I think we do. Um, and the scriptures say, sing. And because of all that he's done, just sing. And um, fortunately, we get we very, fairly, fairly small amount of criticism that happens here, that I think the vineyard's, this, the church has been as good about that, and we understand we have lots of different kinds of music in different places. Um, that I'm just telling you, that is not the story in a lot of places. That is just not how it is. And we can be that. We can sit there and have a critical attitude towards the song or how many times it was sung or how it sounded or how it fit and these kinds of things. And I think these verses are saying there's no place for that in our hearts. When we understand God's graciousness and we understand the importance of our singing, it actually is used by the Spirit for the transformation of one another. And we don't sing, we go away without that touch um, that God wanted to bring into our life. Janice, if you could um, bring our worship team, our our music team back up in front again as we uh, prepare. The uh, scriptures say that when um, Jesus told the disciples at the the Last Supper, he said, I earnestly desire to have the Passover with you. At the very end of their time, it says that they sang a hymn, and then they went out. And Jesus was going out to be betrayed, and he was going out to suffer and to die, and and he sang a hymn. And I kind of wonder, what was on his mind and heart as he sang? Um, My thought would be, I wouldn't want to sing. Um, And with those that he loved, um, they sang. And then he went out and he died. He gave his life for us. Um, after that song, um, we on the other side of the cross are recipients of, of that good news and that gospel. As needy people, he has stepped in and he has completely changed us and redeemed us. And he's given us voices by which we use to, to sing to him in expression. And we sing to each other because it shapes us and changes um, who we are. So we're going to um, take some time. The uh, table behind me on the side are, are open in remembrance of the, the, uh, the Jesus who sings. Gave his life, um, who gave his life for us, um, and you can partake of that. Um, remember, we sing to each other. The first song will be new, so maybe um, if you, when you get it, jump in with it. But maybe it's a song to to receive somebody singing, receive the singing of the worship team as they bring the song to us, and then enter into our songs um, as we worship and pray and partake together. Lord, I thank you for the bread and the cup. I especially just want to thank you for for music, um, how it has. So impacted all of us, um, and I know for me there are there are movements of you and my wife that I associate with songs I heard at that time, and um, they have changed me. We give you thanks for it. Uh, we thank you for one another, and may through the Holy Spirit, as He uh, brings our voice together, um, be honored in it, um, and shape our hearts as well as we <clears throat> sing. And we thank you that as broken people, Lord, we get to come before you. Um, experiencing your redemption, and we get to sing out with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.